Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good evening and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. And again, uh, this is our new time, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., again Thursdays afternoon at 1 p.m. You could also hear us again on Saturdays at 4 p.m. And if you missed any of the program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Well, we're going to have a great program for you tonight as we're going to be talking to two of our state officials, our state auditor, and later this hour we're going to be talking to our state treasurer. But before we do, I wanted to let you know that early voting began today. That's right. We're off and running for the May 3rd primary, and uh, things have got settled so that uh, you're voting on the U.S. Senate race, the statewide offices of governor, secretary of state, attorney general, auditor, and treasurer. You'll also be voting on congressional districts, the 15 new congressional districts, by the way. Remember, Ohio lost one congressional seat after the census of 2020. We now have 15 congressional seats. Those of you in the Northeast Ohio area, you have a new district of 13, also a new district of 7. And you want to check that out at our website, again, at ohioca.org, or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. The new congressional map is up there. Click on that link, take a look and see. And then uh, come this weekend, we will have the voter guide. Uh, we will have a limited voter guide for the primary. We'll be covering the governor's race, the Senate race, uh, and again, two of the uh, congressional races, at least, uh, District 7 and District 13, for the primary. We'll have a full voter guide uh, with all the races come the general election. But right now, uh, that's what we have in front of us, and we're off and running in this election year. And, of course, there's a lot of excitement uh, for people to make some uh, uh, cast their vote. And, of course, across the country, uh, there's a big uh, red wave underway, as we say. <laughs> and so uh, people not too happy about Mr. Biden and his administration. And there's definitely uh, folks are going to be weighing in this November. So it's very exciting that way. And that's what we have in this country. We have a representative form of government. You and I, we get to choose with this vote that was paid for by those who have fought and died on battlefields around the world to retain our heritage and our freedom. So we're very, very thankful for that and for all of our veterans and, and again, for the legacy that we have in this wonderful American republic. And like Ben Franklin said, you have a republic if you can keep it. So let's keep it going, as they say. Well, with me on the phone again is our state auditor, Keith Faber, and uh, he's running for re-election. Uh, with all full disclosure, he's running for re-election and, uh, this year, and so he's uh, coming uh, to the end of his first term. We're going to be talking about the redistricting commission with the auditor and also about the unemployment fraud that took place because his office conducted an audit, and he's going to give the numbers on that. During COVID, of course, they were pushing money out the door in Washington and back to the states, and a lot of fraud took place. And uh, I tell you, the numbers are pretty frightening as we see that not just uh, people taking advantage of unemployment dollars here in uh, unscrupulous ways domestically, but obviously international fraud took place in these systems. There wasn't enough checks and balances, and the auditor is going to talk to us about that. Without further ado, here's uh, Auditor Faber. Uh, auditor, welcome to the program. 
Thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to be here. Well, thank you, and thank you for your service on the new Ohio Redistricting Commission. Uh, something that we thought would just maybe be a month or two is uh, really stretching out here. Your work on the commission is taking up a lot of time because not only do you serve on the commission, uh, of course, our governor, the secretary of state, the speaker of the house, the Senate president, minority member in the house, minor- minority member in the Senate, make up the Redistricting Commission. Uh, but uh, it's really had a uh, go-around, as we have seen. There was map number one, and then the Democrats and interested parties filed suit, went to the state Supreme Court, then we had map number two, and then uh, we and then they, again, they filed suit again with complaints, and the court sent it back, and now we have uh, map number three, at least the congressional map is map number three, and now we have a fourth drawing of the state maps. And so walk us through the process of what, first of all, what this has been like for you as our auditor. And then, of course, uh, give us the numbers of what has to be factored in when we're drawing these districts for Ohio House and Ohio Senate. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, you're, you're essentially, I don't want to say it's like Groundhog Day. We keep coming back and doing the same thing. But uh, at this point, we've got a pretty split uh, Supreme Court. We've got uh, four members of the majority of the court that believe, uh, I guess they'll know it when they see it. They'll know the maps that they like when they see them. And we've got the three minority members that I really encourage people, if you want to read a good decision, dissent, go look at uh, Sharon Kennedy's dissent. I think she got it right in the process. The process uh, really began back in August, um, and uh, we began having hearings around the state. We sat through probably more than 80 hours of testimony in communities all around Ohio to hear what people thought districts should include and and how those should be drawn. Based on that, uh, we finally got the census data, which should have been here in April. We finally got it in early or or late August, early September, and uh, had a chance to start taking a look at that. We came up with a version of the maps that, um, in theory, would have complied. The Constitution really has two separate sets of rules to draw maps. The first set is what I call the split requirements and the limitations on how you physically draw districts. It requires that you avoid splitting communities where you can. You should avoid splitting counties and townships and cities where you can. And that makes really good sense if you think about it. Ohioans tend to live around other Ohioans who think and traditionally vote like them. And therefore, you should want to be represented by somebody who shares your interest and your values. And therefore, if you draw a legislative or congressional district that goes across multiple counties unnecessarily, multiple other political subdivisions unnecessarily, um, it's going to be real tough or it's going to be less likely that you're going to have somebody who, who shares your thoughts and your values representing you. And so that's why the Constitution was drafted first to say that you should avoid unnecessary splits, you need to keep communities together, and you need to comply with that. The other section is the one that the majority in the Supreme Court tends to grab onto, and that's the Section 6 of what happens if you violate, at least in my interpretation of the Constitution, what happens if you violate one of the drafting rules on splits. And Article 6 has three provisions. Article 6A says uh, that you can't uh, draw maps that unduly favor one political party or the other. The second, 6B, says that you need to hit what I call the magical mystery ratio, that the number of districts statewide need to closely correspond with the statewide voting percentages in Ohio. And in Ohio, it's roughly 54-45, 54% Republican, 45% uh, Democrat. 
And then Section 6C says that you need to draw districts that are compact. And so those are the three sections that, in my view of the Constitution, say really only come into play if you violate the constitutional provisions on avoiding splits. Uh, the Supreme Court majority says, no, we get to look at those anyway, and we require you that you draw maps to meet those three requirements. Well, it really makes it almost impossible, almost impossible to draw maps. And in large part, it's the magical mystery ratio, because uh, candidly, uh, it's real hard to meet that, as I can go into later, but it's real hard to meet that 5445 provision uh, and not unnecessarily split or draw non-compact maps. And that was actually proven to be the case. And let's uh, walk the listeners through, because though we had the first map, the second map, the third map, we're talking about the state House and state, rep, uh, state Senate seats. Uh, Maureen O'Connor, the Democrats, again, struck those down, sent them back to the commission with criteria this time. She wanted uh, the map drawing software and the process to be in the open in a hearing. She wanted independent map drawers to be brought in uh, into the process. Quite honestly, I have to say, Keith, when I read that, I'm like, wait a second. You're way outside the boundaries, lady, because I'm an Ohioan and I voted on this and I'm kind of watching the way this thing's working. And a lot of us are beginning to think we may want to go back to the ballot and get rid of this redistricting commission. We'll wait and see because we're really not liking the way this is working out. And uh, we don't like the way that the court is uh, in, in, in interfered in this whole process, in our opinion, commandeered the process is one expression by the dissenting opinion by some of the justices, in which I agree. But uh, nevertheless, the commission went about and uh, folded their hands and did everything that Ms. O'Connor and the court was requiring over the last couple of weeks. And let's take the listeners through, because I think what's interesting here is the Democrats got one of their map drawers and the Republicans got one of their map drawers independently outside side of the uh, original commission they came in and what i what i thought was great the one guy said wait a second this is hard you guys have more criteria <laughs> than any other state that i've been to on this thing and in the end right. keith and i watched online they didn't finish they couldn't they couldn't That's meet right. the deadline either and so this whole business That's about right. contempt by the court of the commission is ridiculous because here the very suggestion that Maureen O'Connor and the Democrats in the court wanted, you guys did. You followed through all their guidelines, and yet they still couldn't meet the deadline. This is the independent, so-called, folks coming in from the outside. By the way, how much were they paid? We have to tell the taxpayers that. Oh, yeah, it was a fortune. I don't know the final number, but it was a lot. Uh, probably close to $100,000 for roughly five to ten days' work. It was not each, but... Where, where do I line up for that crazy. job, uh, Keith? Where do I line up well, for that? <laughs> I'll put your name on the list. You could have done equally as well as they did. But, look, I, I go back to this process. You're right. The Supreme Court, in its last opinion, tried to micromanage our process. And, first of all, as a constitutional office holder, I have a tough time with separation of powers in that regard. And, and so what happened was that the court said, not only do you have a limited amount of time to do this, but you have to go out and hire independent people. I, I jokingly said, good luck. And so we're going to go out and try and hire somebody independent to do this. And we're going to say, oh, by the way, your job only lasts for 12 days or 10 days if we can actually find people to do this. And it took us three or four days to get somebody hired. And, and we had to pay an obscene amount of money because they were coming in, literally dropping everything, coming in and only going to work for five or six days. And so that was part of the problem. The other part of the problem was, is they put in all these additional restrictions that aren't found in the Constitution about how you draw the maps. Uh, it would be akin to us telling uh, the courts how they have to make rulings, how they have to go through their process, 
I think separation of power says that the courts can't tell us how to do our process. They can look at the maps and say whether they believe the maps meet the constitutional tests or not. But that's the limitation. It would be equally offensive if we were to tell the court how to make their decisions, how to write their opinions, and how to do their deliberations. And so that's the problem separation of powers keeps us from having to have. But again, it is what it is. We are where we are. Um, Moving forward, we need to ultimately figure out how we're going to land the plane. I think that, as I said during the process, um, my big concern, my big concern is I won't support maps that are gerrymandered, much less maps that are gerrymandered for the Democrats and that aren't compact and are are drawn to meet the magical mystery ratio without regard to the other other requirements in the Constitution. And, And that was the problem where we've been. Uh, and, and let me just put a fine point on this. And I think the best way to think about this is the Democrats and, and their allied groups that are suing it have essentially insisted on 45 Democrat state legislative seats in the House. OK, if you gave the Democrats every single seat and every single county that Joe Biden won in the last presidential election, they would get 38 seats. Okay, so to get to 45 means not only do they get all of the seats in those seven urban counties, they're going to get seats other places, too. And the reality is under the map drawing requirements, avoiding splits, avoiding all of the other things, you can't give them every seat in every urban county. You have to have some Republicans. Let me just give you an example of Hamilton County. The Hamilton County vote was roughly 48 percent Republican, 52 percent Democrat. There are townships, large townships in western Hamilton County that under the constitutional requirements should not be split. In my view, you need to have at least two Republican two Republican uh, uh, seats in Hamilton County. And if you think about it, a county with roughly five to seven uh, legislative districts having two when 48 percent of the vote went for Republicans probably isn't even enough. But the maps that were ultimately drawn, the maps that I voted against, um, would have would have taken all of the representatives roughly in, in most of your urban counties and made them Democrat, and, and then had to find Republican seats, make them Democrat in other areas by drawing urban representatives into those rural districts. For example, it took Ottawa County and uh, went into inner city to, to make those. It went from Lake County and into East Cleveland to make that a Democrat district. Those are the kind of problems you get when you're trying to hit the magical mystery ratio and drawing districts that aren't compact and districts that make unnecessary splits and unnecessary pairings. Well, I can tell you, yeah, that's right. And I can tell you in states like Illinois and New York and Maryland, they're not fretting about this at all, where it's all Democrat and they're drawing the maps and there's no disputes. And uh, the Republicans, you sit there and you give you, you'll take what we give you Uh, in this regard. uh, You know, let's, let's also factor in here. Eric Holder has been filing these lawsuits with a group. uh, Basically they have a theory sued to their blue in other words, and they're fighting in Ohio and North Carolina and Florida. Uh, Interesting enough, uh, the red states, right? They're fighting in these red states of the redistricting plan. Uh, in fact, there was even agreement by Democrats in this state, and they're not too happy about this process, I'm told now at this point, because they saw, they thought, look, we should have taken the second version of the map. That was actually Cleveland.com. There was a couple of editorial uh, editors talking in their blog and saying we should have taken the second version of the maps. Uh, we're not in agreement with this lawsuit. So there's not complete gr- agreement on the Democratic side about the, all this. But 
all this uh, outside interest by Eric Holder and his group filing lawsuit, ACLU, the League of Women Voters, and all that. Uh, that's what's made this just drug out. And I think part of it is, to be honest with you, Keith, I think it's to suppress uh, the conservative vote uh, because everybody's just waiting to get to the vote this year. After two years of Biden, we've had enough, and people are really upset of what inflation, gas prices, and the and the status of things, and they're not too happy. They want to get to the polls. They want to vote and feel as if they could do something positively, and the Democrats are trying to obstruct with all these lawsuits and gumming up the works. Well, it's not going to work. They're eventually... they're. They're going to fail, and we're going to get to the polls, and we're going to make some changes in Washington. We're going to make some changes uh, across the country. And so, uh, you know, there's states that are fighting back, like Florida, like Ohio. Uh, you know, some people would think that Ohio should do more, and I know that you think the same thing. Uh, we see Governor DeSantis really rolling on and doing some very proactive things down there in Florida. People uh, really, uh, uh, they rejoice about their governor in Florida. But um, the, the fact is, is that, that's what this is all about. It really is a political bottle for, you know, and if normally when this happens, of course, there's dispute and disagreement, but there's also agreement when we've seen over the years, and I've been, this is the third time in my political life of being involved in public policy where I've seen this play out. Uh, there's always an agreement with uh, both parties, the Democrats and Republicans. And it's interesting, too. What we're presuming here is there's two political parties. There's other political parties. You know, it's like, uh, you know, one one person said, we have a third party in this country. We have 50 of them. OK, so uh, there's a lot of other political parties. So I think even that presumption in this, uh, you know, the, this uh, article of the Constitution and saying can't be favor disfavor a political party. Where where does the Green Party or the Constitutional Party or, you know, where do they stand in all this? That's what I'm saying. So it, it's semantics at, 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 at least. Yeah. Yeah, your thoughts. Well, look, and, and this this is certainly, I said this when we did the constitutional amendment, you can't take politics out of an inherently political process. But in this case, it was very clear when from the very first map that both sides wanted litigation more than they wanted compromise. There was a chance to have compromise. And ultimately, the, the, what the Democrats were offering in the very first set of maps that we, we, we looked at they haven't ever come back and talked about those being acceptable. If they would come back and agree to the very first maps that were offered by the Democrats, we could sign off on that, my guess is, immediately. But what's happened is, is this has become a process that uh, the Eric Holder and his gang of friends, and, and I, I call them the allied organizations, they clearly are aligned, they clearly have similar funding mechanisms, and they clearly share ideologies and goals. And, and they are suing, as you said, till it's blue. And it's amazing that that map and redistricting problems in other states like Illinois and Maryland and Massachusetts and New York, where they they the, the Democrat redistricting efforts uh, really got rid of any any meaningful Republican seats in any of those states. Eric Holder's not suing there. So to pretend that these are just the the pillars of transparent good government is just a false assumption. But having said that, uh, as we go forward in this process, you know, we're going to have to work till we get something that works. And uh, this process has not yielded that result yet. Well, and we do have congressional maps. The third version of the maps is what has been, uh, for all intents and purposes, upheld. Somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the court disposed the case. That's a fancy word for dismissal. Okay, they didn't give favor of sending it back to the commission. And we have uh, real firm evidence of why we believe that that was. What? I don't want to correct you, Chris, but 
the court essentially dismissed the first lawsuit because it didn't keep continuing jurisdiction. A second lawsuit has now been filed on the congressional maps. The problem is, is that that lawsuit cannot be ruled before we vote on congressmen in the primary. So that lawsuit is still pending. The court's still going to hear challenges to those congressional maps. But for this election, those are likely to be the maps because we're going to start voting or some people start voting on those maps today, which arguably means that those maps are in play. Um, without regard to whether the Supreme Court's approved them or not approved them, they haven't invalidated them. But they've got the case to invalidate them. They're starting to take oral arguments on it, and they're not supposed to conclude those arguments for some period of time. So it's unlikely, unlikely, no matter how they rule, that these maps will not be the maps uh, for this election. So well, this next two years, we're going to keep the maps that were in play, and, most likely. And here's what I want to say. Go ahead make my day. Let me tell you what was going to happen, and they already knew what was going to happen. If they struck down those third version of the congressional maps, you can't stop me as an Ohio voter from sending 15 delegates to Washington on January 1, 2023. Hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. We were going to propose a statewide at-large ballot for all 15 congressional districts. The Democrats knew that, the court knew that, and that's why they blinked. That's why they did. And we're coming out with it tonight. That's right. It's all said and done. But if they want to go ahead and monkey with that, go ahead, make my day, because we're going to do that. Well, the law supports you. There is actually a, uh, it's a 1940s law that says in districts like, or states like Ohio, where you lose a congressional district, if you don't have valid districts, even though the law says for Congress they have to run a district, it says if you don't have valid districts, all of your congressional members run on a slate statewide. And in that case, uh, we'd end up with 15 members of Congress, is my prediction on the Republican side. Absolutely. Again, that was certainly, that is certainly the sort of Damocles hanging over the congressional line. And certainly it may be a reason why at least some of the allied groups suggested that they let these maps stand for this election and continue to litigate for next time. Oh, without question, that's why they did it. And I'll just say that that's what we were fully ready for and when they uh, went ahead and dis- they, the term is disposed the case and then they refiled on Monday but the fact is is that the, the court blinked and the Democrats blinked because they just were petrified of the prospect in a big red year 15 all all state uh, uh, d- districts wow that would be a red wave to be a red wave <laughs> so they- I, I would I would I would love to have Ohioans all have a right to vote for Jim Jordan and Warren Davidson and the rest of the congressional delegation um, as a slate. It would be an interesting election. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how you run those campaigns, but I'm sure they'd have figured it out. Well, again, thank you for your service on this. So again, th- we're going to be able to vote on May third, uh, but the state maps are still being wrangled out. We appreciate your service, uh, Mr. Auditor. You've done a great job there, and uh, we believe we're going to win this fight. Uh, and be able to have our districts and basically uh, let folks know where they can uh, learn about the candidates and then cast their vote. That's what we're all about. But listen, thank you for being my guest today. How can folks follow the Auditor of State? The best way is our website, ohioauditor.gov, ohioauditor.gov. If you want to go out and see uh, my my personal site, you can go to keithfaber.org, keithfaber.org. But the official auditor website is ohioauditor.gov. If you see something going on in government that you think looks a little untoward, I investigate government. That's what we do. I don't audit individuals. I don't audit businesses, and I don't collect taxes. I act as your watchdog on those who spend your tax dollars. 
And so you can call us at 1-866-FRAUDO-H, 1-866-FRAUDO-H, and report something untoward in government. Uh, we're happy to serve you. I love my job. Thank you. Thank you, you and your listeners for making me state auditor. Thank you, Mr. Auditor. God bless you. Thanks for being my guest. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue and we're back. And again, want to remind you that we're off and running for the May 3rd primary. And actually, early voting began today, but I think a lot of voters are still undecided learning about the candidates in the primary and, of course, your districts. You'll be voting on governor, Ohio uh, attorney general. You'll be voting on all the statewide races of treasurer and auditor and secretary of state. You'll also be voting on the 15 congressional districts. These are the new 15 congressional districts. And information about all this is on our website at ohioca.org. We'll have links to the Secretary of State's website as well. And, of course, the new congressional map is there with the new 15 uh, congressional districts. There's two new ones here in Northeast Ohio. That's District 7 and District 13. You're going to want to take a close look at that uh, as there's going to be a very short campaign for those primary races of uh, those two districts alone. And, of course, the U.S. Senate race is really heating up, and it's going to be by a nose, it looks like, on the Republican side as we head into May 3rd. We will have a voter guide. It will be a limited primary voter guide that will be on our website this weekend on uh, April 8th. You'll be able to check in, too, and you'll see uh, the U.S. Senate um, uh, voter guide and also a couple of the congressional races we'll be featuring and then of course uh, uh, some of the statewide or the governor's race so it'll be limited in um, aspect for the primary but we'll have the full voter guide come November of course uh, this fall as we head towards the November elections 
Well, as promised, we're going to be talking to our state treasurer, Robert Sprague, who has been traveling the state and getting a listening tour, talking to business owners, talking to people around the state of how they're wrestling with inflation. We are seeing a 40-year high in regard to inflation. Most of us are seeing it at the gas pump. We're seeing it in the grocery stores, and basically the cost of living has gone up, and we're going to talk about the numbers. But let's go to this report from a television station in Youngstown and where uh, Treasurer Sprague was out there meeting with business people. A handful of local business leaders had plenty to say this morning when they were asked about the ripple effect of rising prices on the economy. Senior reporter Jerry Ricciuti shows us what the business people had to say. Whether it's rising prices for groceries or higher costs for shipping, inflation is getting out of hand. It's a vicious cycle. One thing affects the next thing affects the next thing, and it's just a compounding. You know, we got to figure out how to stop it. This morning, Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague, along with Valley State Senator Michael Rooley, invited a number of small business leaders to a roundtable to hear about their problems with rising prices. With close to 12,000 jobs needing filled in the Valley, owners find themselves offering higher wages to lure new employees. How do we raise our wages? We raise your prices. So the consumer ends up paying every everything comes back to us at this table as consumers. It's even now affecting the real estate market as potential developers are pulling back from new projects because of the rising costs of construction. So the dollars per square foot to build like a conventional warehouse, build a 25, 30,000 foot warehouse, mm-hmm. used to be $100, $125 a foot. It's $200 a foot right now. Sprague told the group he and lawmakers are working to change the rules covering state low interest loans to help reduce costs, but that may only do so much. Even food pantries all across Ohio, like Second Harvest here in Youngstown, are feeling the pinch as well, with 35% fewer items on their shelves than a year ago. It comes at a time when directors say they're seeing more seniors coming for food. It's heartbreaking to see someone saying, well, gee, I lived through the, I lived through the Depression. I never thought I'd see this again. Mm. And, and we're getting that a lot. And those here worry things will get much worse before they get better. Jerry Ricciuti, WKBN 27 First News. And, of course, that's a report on inflation that we're facing right here across the country and right here in Ohio as well. In fact, those of you been following the D-Day Prayer Project, uh, that we had the $2 million grant that came from the Lilly Endowment. We were all set to go, and then something happened called inflation. And, um, in fact, the plans have had to be revised to cut the cost on it, and yet still the granite uh, cost alone exceeded by $300,000, and we're trying to raise that funding. If you want to follow us as to where we're at with the project, so obviously we were going to have a June 6th dedication. That's been postponed, but I can tell you the good news. The good news is is that the plans have been finalized, uh, and we are putting the bidding out for contractors, working with the friends of the World War II Memorial. They're the ones putting the bid out to the contractors. We're about to get a report back from them and uh, to when construction might begin this summer and then later this year, a dedication of the prayer. It's an 11-year project for us, folks, and I want to thank all of those of you that have contributed over the years. But if you'd like to contribute more at this time, we do need funding for a national ad campaign to feature the prayer nationally on radio. That that will be at our website, ddayprayerproject.org.
With us on the phone is our state treasurer, Robert Sprague, and we're going to be talking about inflation and what his office is doing to help our local farmers as well as they face a year of uh, increased cost as they're trying to put uh, a harvest in the ground. And uh, as we already heard, there's going to be food shortages because of what is happening in Europe and the Ukraine. Uh, Treasurer Sprague, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. Well, you know, as we talk about that, we talk about the food production here in Ohio and the breadbasket of America. Uh, Really, Ukraine over the centuries has been the breadbasket of Europe. And with the war raging there, and uh, they're not going to be able to... uh, basically plant seed and do the farming like they normally would, there's going to be disruption, and people are saying there's going to be food shortages. And that makes uh, this complicated problem, even with inflation already, which is the uh, ugly gorilla that's already pounding our farmers, is going to just compound that, that this is going to be important, the work that you're doing to help farming in the state of Ohio because the increase in fertilizer alone and uh, the seed and, of course, the equipment uh, to do the farming. And we're just about to get into the seeding uh, season. Uh, You can't have a harvest unless you get out there in the fields and fertilize and do the seeding. So take it away, Mr. Treasurer. What what have you been doing? Well, I'll tell you, we've been touring the, the state, Chris, because we're concerned about this inflation that our country hasn't seen since 1982. And I thought your statement already put in clear relief the problems that we're facing. Now, I mean, you can say, you know, obviously there is going to be a a need for more grain on a global scale. But if you walk this back a little bit and you say, well, wait a second, what really is the underlying cause of all this inflation that is absolutely backbreaking for people on fixed incomes like our seniors? It's backbreaking for middle-class families that see it at the gas pump and then go to the grocery store and they see it at the grocery store. And this is not a crisis of Ohio's doing. This really is a crisis of the runaway spending that is going on in Washington, D.C. We know that inflation everywhere and always is a monetary phenomenon. It happens because the federal government is spending and printing money that it doesn't have. And that causes the prices of everything to increase from transportation to energy to groceries and everything in between. And so the question becomes, well, gee, what can we do about that here in the state of Ohio? And we were having a roundtable with some farmers up in Wood County the other day. And I turned to one of the gentlemen, he said, yeah, he said, the price of Roundup has now gone from $11 a gallon to $70 a gallon in the state of Ohio. So this is the main herbicide that the farmers use. And another fellow chimed in. He said, yeah, he said the cost of diesel has doubled so that what cost me $30,000 in last year's harvest just costing me $70,000 this year. And at another roundtable, a lady who was a farmer said that the cost of nitrogen for her has gone from $300 a ton to $1,100 a ton, over triple at this point. And so we are trying to make sure that in the state of Ohio, uh, the one thing that doesn't go up this planting season for our farmers is the cost of money. And so we've got a a brand new program that we're Uh, unveiling over the next few weeks here as we work with the legislature to get this accomplished. 
It's called Ohio Games. And it's called Ohio Games because we think that farmers and, and our food security gain from using our balance sheet in this way. And that is we're trying to lower the interest rate that farmers can get on planting loans in the state of Ohio. We're taking off this red tape $150,000 cap uh, that we have currently for the program because, look, nobody is planting much for $150,000 in the state of Ohio this next year. And then we're also moving to a year-round application period. Farmers are going to have a supply uh, of an ample supply of capital whenever they need it. Uh, and then finally, we're allowing cooperatives for the very first time to also apply to the program because all their farmers buy their goods, you know, their seed and fertilizer and things through the combined purchasing power of cooperatives these days. So it's one thing that we can do in the Treasury to help chip away at the dramatically rising cost of inflation here in the United States. We're talking with uh, Robert Sprague. He is the treasurer of Ohio, and of course, he is a candidate this year for re-election. Uh, Robert, uh, we're going to talk about some of your programs that you've had actually to help adopting families, uh, Family Forward program that's underway, and I know you have an update for us on that, uh, which has really been a very positive program in helping adopting families. But let's go back to this inflation problem as we see around the state of Ohio, and you've been out there in a listening tour and talking to business leaders this uh, the clip we played was uh, in Youngstown with a roundtable there, and I thought that was very insightful. And then you see where it's acti- actually impacting the elderly in our food banks. And uh, the food bank director was saying we're seeing more and more elderly come. Now, of course, they're on fixed incomes, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. They're coming in, uh, and they're saying, you know, this is looking like the Great Depression all over again. Never thought I'd have to relive this again in my life. That, that is a very worrisome uh, statement. Uh, and I think that people are beginning to understand that I know in the long household, okay, so all the, the kids are grown and, and, and they're all adult children. We have our grandchildren now, but, you know, Sylvia and I have found ways to uh, basically cut costs. And I think that everybody's doing that, you know, where you can shop at other, you know, stores and maybe cut your uh, grocery bill or uh, wherever you can curtail the expenses of things and people really working to do that all this last year to try to get ahead of inflation. But I mean, it is like a juggernaut coming at us. And like the one businessman said, he said, you're constantly trying to, it affects every aspect of our business. And, you know, business doesn't stop and say, hey, wait, let's see how we can figure this out. No, it's a day-by-day process of ordering and transport and uh, supply and demand. I mean, these things just don't stop. And and if they do, you're out of business. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's 100% right. And I want to point out, uh, when I heard that comment by the food uh, by Mike, the food bank director there in Youngstown, uh, I mean that cut me to the quick. It's something that I'll take with me, uh, and we'll talk about this entire year as we talk about inflation, because you mentioned your uh, D-Day prayer project, and you know that truly was what we call the greatest generation. And for them to go through the depression and you know be on a fixed income, and what's happening is they're seeing all their all the prices of everything that they that they buy every month go up, right? So the gasoline is going up, the groceries are going up. Another thing that's going up is actually the price of their homes that pe- that older people live in, and that's causing their real estate property taxes to go up as well, even though they don't have any additional cash. And so all these things are putting a lot of pressure on uh, the greatest generation. And, and at the end of the day, the way to fix this 
is for the federal government to get its out-of-control spending under control again. They, you know, they've turned these temporary stimulus programs into permanent government welfare over the last two years. And this tremendous increase in the amount of money in circulation, the money that they're spending, um, and, and the corresponding demand, uh, the shock in demand is what, and, and also the fact that we shut down in some cases for the coronavirus is what's causing the supply shortages and also this massive inflation. So, you know, the federal government really has to get their budget under control. Well, and that's right. And so right now the Democrats are running everything. They control the House, they control the Senate, they control the White House. And uh, so they're pushing the agenda. Uh, the only f- the filibusters, the only firewall of real runaway spending because Bernie Sanders, uh, this guy, this uh, socialist, he wanted to just continue to spend, spend, spend. And the only thing that's stopping is Joe Machen and Kirsten Sinema. That's uh, we had Rick Santorum on this program a few weeks ago, his former senator. And he said, look, uh, there were people that were clamoring to get away with the filibuster in the Senate a few years back when Trump was there. But uh, he said, I would disagree with that because it is the firewall against the kind of lunatic left when I was in Washington. And his words were prophetic because right now the only thing saving us from even a catastrophic spending uh, that would really send this uh, country down is uh, uh, the filibuster in Kirsten Cinema and uh, Joe Machen keeping voting no. Uh, but, you know, how long can that happen? Well, we're heading towards an election November, but that's why your vote matters. That's why elections matter. Ohio has to send another senator, as Senator Portman has uh, announced his retirement, will be filling that seat. If it's a leftist that wants to continue spending, we're really going to be in a fix. Uh, your thoughts on that, uh, Mr. Treasurer? Well, I think that you're seeing, you know, we have several socialists uh, that call themselves socialists in the United States Senate and in the uh, United States House at the federal level, uh, and they have enacted these policies. And quite frankly, the president, President Biden, um, in order to satisfy the left wing of his party, has enacted this massive amount of spending that has directly read, led to the inflation that people are now facing at the grocery store. This is not, uh, and, and I'll say also that, you know, in the political class, they'll try to blame anybody but themselves for the problem that they've created now. And so they'll blame supply, you know, this, the supply chain. Well, you know, look, if it were the supply chain, then why, uh, why is France not having the rate of increases in inflation that we are? Why is Japan not having the rate of inflation increases that we are? Um, you know, why is Denmark not having the rate of inflation increases that we are? The answer is that we are spending more uh, in terms of our fiscal deficit than all these other countries. And just, you know, this is going to cost the average American family, according to Moody's, over $275 a month. And to give you an order of magnitude, if you look back at our nation's history, our fiscal history, it took us until the year 2001 to incur $5.8 trillion of debt in the United States of America. We have spent $5.8 trillion since only May of 2020. So that is why we have this problem. They've got to turn off the money spigot in Washington, D.C., because it's raising the price of the grocery store. It's raising the price of the gas pump. It's raising the cost of adoption in the state of Ohio, which is something else that that I'm concerned about and interested in. So all these things are, are raising in terms of cost. 
We're talking with Robert Sprague. He is Ohio State Treasurer. He uh, is also uh, running for re-election this year. Uh, and uh, so uh, we want to just uh, share that with the listeners. Um Robert, uh, let's talk about uh, the the Family Forward program, because you mentioned adoption, and this is something that you ran through the Ohio General Assembly. Tell us about the Family Forward program, how that helps adoption. Well, we learned that the cost of adoption, uh, private adoption in the state of Ohio, it was $40,000, $50,000 now in the state to adopt a child. And you can imagine what a tremendous burden that is on a middle-class family trying to adopt a young one and welcome a new child into their forever home. And so we know that we've got state tax credits. We've got uh, federal tax credits. So many times families take out a loan to be able to bridge that gap through to the state and the federal tax credits as they're going through the adoption process. Because it's expensive. I mean, they've got adoption agency expenses, they've got court expenses, they've got legal fee expenses, they've got fees that are incurred on behalf of the birth mother, they've got home study fees, all these things that cost them up front that in many cases families don't have the money to pay for. So one of the things that we are doing through our Family Forward program is we want to be able to lower the interest rate on a loan that they would get to the cost of adoption. We get to use our $20 billion balance sheet for this link deposit program that helps um, you know kids in the state of Ohio be part of a forever family and, and get these children welcomed into loving homes here in the Buckeye State. Uh, so we're thrilled. We launched it back in November, um, and we're thrilled to be able to offer that through the treasurer's office. Well, that's a great program, and you know Ohio has been adoption friendly as our organization worked on. Uh, the Choose Life license plate, uh, which is still on many people's cars, and people can get that. It's a specialty plate. $20 of every sale goes to a pregnancy care center uh, in the counties. Also, uh, the adoption tax credit, uh, we increased that, and uh, the Ohio Right to Life came and said, hey, I think we could do better than that. And they actually went through the legislature again to increase it even more, uh, the adoption tax credit. But your program of the family forward program and that's so real because I talked to uh, friends of ours uh, who have who have adopted and they talked about the the cost and uh, you know so anything to help with adoption is helping um, you know families to be able to uh, realize that wonderful joy of adopting a child in the state of Ohio so that's just such a great program that you've you've launched so let's talk a little bit also about um, basically the economy, the overall economy in Ohio right now. Um, so how are things? I mean, we hear about the Intel project that uh, Governor DeWine unveiled uh, with Intel coming to Ohio, but there's uh, there's some other places in Ohio that are uh, kind of struggling, and as we've talked on this program, with inflation. And, you know, sometimes it's beyond uh, our reach because it's uh, a federal policy that's having an impact on basically the value of money with inflation, runaway inflation. Your thoughts? Well, I think that what we all need to do is we need to do our part. And, uh, you know, everybody in terms of the policymakers, the leadership needs to talk about the issues that, you know, they're in control of. And one of the things that we look at in the treasurer's office is, you know, how can we make an impact on uh, the workforce? How do we make an impact on education? How do we make an impact on trying to help people get into uh 
you know, that, that uh, workforce and be able to have careers here in the state of Ohio. And um, so it's not just about dealing with inflation. We also want people's incomes to increase. And one of the ways that we have uh, found, we just had, we have a brand new project, and we found out that in Appalachia, Ohio, many of the kids there go without eye exams. They simply don't get eye exams. And, of course, this impacts their learning uh, because if they don't know that they can't see, they can't study very well. And uh, there's just not a lot of doctors uh, in some of these smaller counties and not a lot of optometrists. So um, our office has created uh, a brand-new project called Results Ohio that tries to get uh, one of the projects tries to get at this problem. And what's great about Results Ohio is it's a new financial concept, a new way to pay for pilot projects out in the private sector that solve some of our state's problems. And um, this idea of eyeglasses we have a, a private funder that's willing to put $1.3 million into a pilot project in Appalachia, Ohio. It's a mobile eye clinic. They give these kids eye exams. They leave with eye glasses. And uh, if this thing works, uh, the Results Ohio program is going to reimburse that funder for the $1.3 million pilot project. But if it doesn't, tax, you know, they're not going to get paid for the services that they did not perform. And it's a way for us to test out new concepts uh, and really improve the scalability of the things that work. So, you know, we've got to help these kids. We want them to get a great education. We want them to have a great career in the Buckeye State. We want them to be able to, um, you know, be able to provide for their families. Uh, and one of the ways that we can do that is to make sure that they can see as they're going through school. Well, what a novel concept, uh, a government uh, supporting uh, a program that actually proves it's worth, it's actually working, rather than just uh, keep on throwing money at programs that, whether they work or not, they just keep on throwing money at these grant applicants, uh, whether they have proven that they have actually done what they said that they would do or not. Uh, so I commend you on that, Mr. Treasure. Well, listen, we're just about uh, uh, through with our program. Uh, let folks know where your campaign website um, again, uh, where they can follow you on your campaign website. Sure. You can go to SprayForOhio.com, and uh, we're, we're running really hard this year. We're so pleased to, to be with the people in the state of Ohio, and we're trying to get out because I think so many times people look uh, at Columbus as being insulated, and we want to make sure that you know, I'm out there talking with real families uh, about their problems and trying to address real issues that are important to the people of the state of Ohio. And uh, you know, our mission in the treasurer's office is very simple. We want to be good stewards of your taxpayer dollars. We want to be wise investors in the future of our state. Uh, and we also want to be bold innovators for the people of the state of Ohio. My belief in the power of finance, that how you pay for things matters, and we want to bring some of these new innovative ideas uh, to help the people of the state of Ohio and, and make an impact from the treasurer's office. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mr. Sprague. Thank you, uh, State Treasurer. We're glad that you're with us on the program today. Thank you for being our guest, and God bless you. God bless you, Chris. Thank you so much for the time today. All right. We'll be seeing you later. Thank you so much. All right. Bye now. Again, that's uh, Robert Sprague, State Treasurer, and um, he is a candidate on the uh, ballot. Uh, we just want to say that the Ohio Christian Alliance provides this as education uh, to our listeners. We don't endorse or support any political party or candidate, but 
provide the information to you. And you can see the voter guide on our website this weekend. Uh, That will be April 8th, and you want to check that out at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.